0: How are we doing, family? Welcome back. Hope you guys had a great weekend and are enjoying yourselves. Let me get us set up. We'll be good to go. See who we got with us today. See anybody yet? There we go. Hey, mom, how you doing? Good to see you. And another mom. The moms are rolling in strong tonight. Hi, moms. How y'all doing? That's really cool that we get to uh, hang out and do this together. I don't know if y'all can hear the baby. She's on her way to bed. I will be here and not here. My grandson just came over and has a broken arm. So I'm gonna spend some time. Spend some time with him. Hi everyone. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear about your grandson. Yeah, definitely go spend some time uh, with him for sure. Uh, Hope he gets better quickly. Ricardo, what's going on, man? How are you? (laughs) Yeah. I hope he's, um, sounds like he's good. I don't know if he was just doing some crazy boy stuff or what. That see, I just said it. <laughs> I just said it. I didn't know how he did it. So I didn't know what was going on, but I thought it might be something like that. Yeah, it happens. Well, we still hope he he, uh, gets better soon. Keep him down. He's got to work on his his drifting skills, so he's got to get back out there. Got to get him a speedy recovery. Um, Michelle, we are going to start in the Book of Galatians tonight. Um, Basically, if you guys read, and I know you mentioned it last week, so decided maybe we'll just jump in there. Of course, you can always go back and watch. If you're missing tonight, you can go back and watch it. Or we can cover something else. And I'm totally fine, open with whatever you guys want to do. Just let me know what you guys want to do, and that's what we'll do. This week before he jumped off the roof and hurt his ankle. He wild one. you are making him laugh, bastard tea. Oh, he's listening to me. <laughs> yeah he's got he's got to work on those drifting skills there is a a Netflix uh, show I'm trying to think of the name of it but it's all about drifting it's a a competition where people from all over the world the best drifters in the world compete cool. So tell him to why he's resting to watch that show. All right, let's uh, pray and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for another day of life. We thank you that so many of us are here alive and healthy. We thank you that you are a god who's in control and i pray that that reality would provide us with tremendous comfort and peace just knowing that you're in control you you are working this thing out no matter what it might look like no matter how we feel help us to embrace the reality that nothing is beyond the scope of your power and authority and that we get to see that jesus holds everything together and that everything is under his feet. And so I pray that that would give us comfort um, just one way or another, that we would recognize that we don't have to be afraid or worry or doubt. We can trust and believe that you're in control. I pray that as uh, we open the book of Galatians tonight, Father, that you would speak to us, give us uh, not just clarity, but Help us to receive your truth in a way that it produces tremendous fruit in our lives that would benefit other people. I pray that you would speak in and through me. Uh, use me to communicate truth. Allow the Holy Spirit to reach us right where we are and just minister to us and just help us that we might be uh, become more like Jesus, that we would look more like him, uh, that we would live like him even. During these times, and we thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather like this online. We pray that it would do exactly what you desire it to do, and that you'd be glorified from this time. In Jesus' name, we pray, Amen. Uh, let's see what we got. Oh, I said, This is different from my daughter. I don't know, I'm in the uh, girl dad club. So we, we gotta see. I'm in the girl dad club. Okay, so as we talked about uh, last week, hope you got hopefully you guys had a chance to do some reading in the book of Galatians. Um as I sat here and thought about it, um it's it will it'll be tough to walk through like we've done some of the old testament books because when we were doing the old testament books, we were going we were like meeting five or six. We did both. We started off doing like six days a week. So um, it was much easier because it was so fresh and we could come back. But if we do that this way uh, with just two times, I feel like uh, we'll be in this six book, six chapter book for a long time. And with the number of days off, I think it just become too choppy. And I I don't I don't like that. So um, what I will do is just try to walk through and explain the whole reason why we're in the book of galatians is because we had spent so much time in uh romans we we talked about some huge concepts we talked about the gospel for one which there's nothing bigger than that right the gospel is the good news about who jesus is what he has done and the difference what he's done makes in our lives so that's the gospel and then we talked about how because of the gospel There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that means there's no judgment coming or awaiting those who are believers in Jesus. And we've tried to walk through, well, what does that mean for believers? Yes, there is a judgment, but that judgment is uh, the judgment seat of Christ to determine what type of rewards we will receive. Not the white throne judgment that unbelievers will experience because their their names aren't written in the book of life. We've explained that if you're on and you haven't seen it, then you could go back and check out some of those previous um, videos uh, just to bring you up to speed. But as we were talking about the gospel, it was shared. Could we do a little more? And I said, absolutely. So here we are in the book of Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and start. We're going to be in Galatians chapter one, starting in verse one. Galatians. Chapter one, starting in verse one, and so Paul is writing this this book to multiple churches, not just one church. So Galatia is like a, it's a province, but like a region, basically of a certain area in Asia Minor. Just a it's just an area that he's writing to. And he's trying to write a letter to whatever churches that exist there. And his goal is to help um, bring clarity and understanding about the gospel. So what we see as we open the book is in chapters one through two, what Paul does is he basically defends and defines the gospel. um, But he also defends and defines his role as an apostle. So that's what he's mainly doing in the first two chapters. He's trying to say, hey, here's what the gospel is and isn't. And here's why I have the power or authority to tell you what it is. That's how he uh, breaks that down. And then in chapters three and uh, four, he begins to describe how the gospel um, creates this multi-ethnic family. Because of the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done and the difference it makes in our lives. The difference it makes in our lives is that now, no matter who you are or what you have done or your background or your race or income or you name it, now the gospel allows us to operate um, as this extremely diverse family. So that anybody who calls God father is your sibling and that we live uh, like a family. So the gospel is communicating that to us. And he, he explains how the gospel makes this multi-ethnic, super diverse family in chapters three and uh, four. And then chapters five and six, what he does is he ultimately talks about how the Holy Spirit transforms us to make that a reality. So let me try to recap. In the book of Galatians chapters one and two, Paul is saying, here's what the gospel is. And then he says, here's why I have the power and authority to tell you about it. That's chapters one and two. Chapters three and four, he basically says the gospel allows all people, no matter who you are, race or sex or income, education, you can now come together and live as a family. And then chapters five and six, what he does is he says, the way that's possible is the Holy Spirit does some supernatural work to shape us, mold us, transform us. Give us the power and fruit to pull it off. So that's what the book of Galatians is ultimately about. Uh, I'm not sure how long it will take us to get through it, but um, I'm hoping to do like two to three chapters today and then two to three chapters on Wednesday. If we don't, then we'll come back on Monday and hopefully we can knock it out uh, next Monday. So let's jump right in. Let's see if we are on time. All right. We're in the book of Galatians we are starting in chapter one in verse one, and it starts off by saying, I'm reading from the uh, NIV version tonight, just because I like a little bit more uh, clarity on some of the words or the way some, th- some things are communicated. Galatians 1, 1 says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. So let's just stop right there. So Paul says he's an apostle. Now the word apostle is a Greek word that just means one who is sent or a sent one. So, uh, anybody that's an apostle, is being sent. So remember Jesus had, we typically say the 12 disciples, uh, but they are considered apostles as well. Those are the 12 apostles um, that Jesus chose to walk with him and be with him, you know, and uh, he sent them. We spent a lot of time. We looked at John 17 where Jesus actually prays his high priestly prayer. And before Jesus goes back to heaven, he's praying to God. And I told you, it's like his, if he were to make a wish you know, a birthday cake and you got candles in it. What does Jesus wish for? What is he praying for? What is he asking God for? What's on his big prayer list? He tells us in John 17 and his prayer is that the church, we would be one. And then he he also wants them to know that he is sending them in the same way that the father sent him. So the idea of being sent to live and serve to be the hands and feet of Jesus is an idea that Jesus is the one who creates, first of all, but that's what the word apostle means. It just means one who is sent. And so when you look at what he says, he says, Paul, an apostle, a sent one, sent, it kind of explains it. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man. He's saying this is not an earthly physical thing. He says, but by Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. So he's just making clear that I'm, I'm being sent by Jesus and the father. Not by any human, not by any church, not by anything like that. Verse two, he says, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the church in Galatia. So this is just the way he does uh, some of his greetings. He will continue in verse three. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He's already kind of explained in the gospel. He says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's Paul's uh, introduction, basically. So he says, hey, this is Paul writing. I'm an apostle. I've been sent not by any human, not by any church, not by a group of men, a group of leaders, but by Jesus Christ and the father himself. That's who sent me. Verse six, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So he's blown away. He says, I cannot believe what I'm seeing with my eyes right now. I'm astonished that you are so quickly turning away. Look at how he says it uh, you're deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Such, such powerful, powerful words. So he says, here you are. Now, Paul had originally planted this church. Paul took missionary journeys. Why did Paul take missionary journeys? Because he was sent by Jesus to do what? To go and tell the gospel so that he could make disciples people who would give their lives to following Jesus, to living for Jesus, to getting to know Jesus and living like Jesus lived. And so Paul began to do these journeys, all traveling, you know, all over the place, uh, trying to share the gospel. Now, as he started um, uh, sharing the gospel, he wanted those people to live like a family as we should. So he was also not just making disciples, but starting churches because the two go Hand in hand. And so he would start these churches and then he would come back around maybe a year later, two years later, multiple years later to check on those churches to see how they were doing. And so Paul has started this church and now he's writing a letter saying, hey, the last time I was with you guys, I shared the gospel and you you got saved. You believe that Jesus came and he died for your sins, as he said earlier, to rescue you from sin, right, to set you free, to deliver you. Uh, not that you had to do anything except believe. And now he says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you, talking about Jesus, and living in his grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. And this is so powerful because Paul is making it clear that some people uh, can can be in the church, can be what we would call a believer or walking with the Lord, But in reality, they can actually be following or believing a different gospel, a gospel that doesn't align with the one that Paul and the apostles were sent to preach. Now, all this stuff matters so much to us today. That's like 2000 years later, because we have to wrestle with, well, what gospel am I believing and what gospel are people around me or in in the churches around me believing? Because you would think that if Paul told these people the gospel, they would just say, this is what he taught us. This is what we're holding on to. But the same guy who told them the gospel is now coming back to check on them and finding out that they're actually believing something different than what he originally taught them. That's because it's easy for us to drift. It's easy for us to hear the truth, but then begin to try to live it out and over time drift into believing something that actually doesn't align with what Jesus came to offer us. And this is why the book of Galatians is such an incredible, amazing book, because Paul is trying to clarify just what the gospel is and how different it is from religion or works. Hope this is making sense to you guys. Uh, Because we're walking through this way, if you have a question uh, that is specifically tied to what we're covering, please feel free to, to comment because I want to make sure that we get it as we're walking through all of this together. Um, verse seven, he says, so he says a different gospel in verse seven, which is really no gospel at all. I love that. He clarifies it. Not that there are multiple gospels. There's just one. He says, and you've drifted to another one, but that one's not a real gospel at all. Uh, where's he at? He says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to prevent the gospel of Christ. So what happens is Paul would go around preaching the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done and the difference it makes in our lives. And there were other religious people who would go talk to those same people and try to discredit Paul, try to say he wasn't telling the truth. He was a liar. He could not be trusted. Just trying to tear down his ministry, basically. And that's why in these first two chapters, he began to share, no, here's the message that I preach uh, and I received it from Jesus himself. Um, and he's the one who sent me. That's why I said he's describing or defending and, you know, describing what the gospel is and his authority. And so he's saying somebody's come since the last time I was here and I told you guys, so let me say it this way. Let's imagine we've been doing this online for a couple of months now. And then I choose to say, I need to take a break. I'll be back in three months. Now, in three months, when we log back on and I start talking, somebody else has come in and started teaching and started teaching a different gospel. Well, there is no different gospel. There's no, there's not another gospel. There's only one, but they might be teaching you or maybe they don't come in. Maybe you start logging in somewhere else and listening to a pastor who's saying a message different than what I'm saying. And when I come back and we start engaging and dialoguing, then I realize, wait, You guys are believing stuff that I didn't say a couple of months ago. What has happened? How did you get where you are today? This is what Paul is experiencing. He planted this church. He told them the gospel. He comes back and he can't understand what's happened. He says, uh, verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So Paul says, if I came back and tried to give you a different message, or if an angel came from heaven and tried to tell you something other than what I originally said, let me or that angel be cursed. Think about the power of that. Paul says, if an angel comes out of heaven and begins to preach to you and tell you another gospel, a message that doesn't align with what we've been talking about, let that angel be cursed. That's why it's so important for us to know and understand and believe in the one true gospel. Otherwise, we have drifted and are being deceived. And it's so much, it's so powerful that he said, let that angel or himself be cursed. Verse nine, he says, as we we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than that, then what you accept it, let them be under God's curse. Man, that's powerful. In a day and age where pretty much all of our church gathering happens online like this, and so many are listening to messages and people, maybe may, maybe way more than you ever did because you can't gather physically anywhere, and people are just maybe hungry to hear something or to learn something or to, you know, grow in God, which is a great thing, by the way, you might log on and start listening to a pastor and he might not be telling you the same gospel uh, that you originally received. Now, how do you know the difference? That's why it's so important for us to hear and understand exactly what Paul's going to describe as the one true gospel here so that, um, you can know and recognize when somebody's giving you a different one, any other place. Does that make sense? Let's see. What we got Ricardo. Would it be twisting scripture to say that some churches can be cursed? All the churches vary in gospels, right? Or why differentiate differentiate between evangelists, Lutheran Calvinists, etc.? The question may be out of the scope of this talk. No, it's not. Um, well, if the church is not preaching the gospel, then yes, that church itself would be cursed. Um, because Paul makes it clear, not just the church, but if an angel were to come out of heaven and give you any other message, let that angel be cursed. That's how important the gospel is. So, um, I'll, uh, Romans 1.16, Paul is saying... He's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. There is no salvation. People coming to Christ, being saved, becoming Christian, going to heaven, living for eternity. That all Holy Spirit, that doesn't exist unless people actually believe the gospel. That's why the gospel is so important. And there can't be other gospels. Now, what you're referring to is just uh, different denominations. So denominations are not, or at least they should not be, preaching or teaching any other gospel. And the moment they do, technically, they're no longer what we would call Christian. So they wouldn't. They wouldn't. They are not under the umbrella of teaching a different gospel. Just within their church, they're different. They believe different things. So, for example, um, one church might believe that for Baptist church, that a person needs to be submerged, you know, fully immersed in water in order to be baptized. While there could be another church that says you can just pour water over their head or sprinkle. And so because they can't agree, they might start their own church, which has happened, by the way. But the reason I point that out is because the method of baptism does not determine what gospel they preach. So that that's not that doesn't uh, affect that issue. Good question. Verse 10, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. So, I mean, man. I can't see your face, so I'm not sure if you guys are sitting listening or if you watching dishes somewhere. But what I do want to say is I'm taking so much time because if you think about what Paul is saying, he says there's only one gospel, and that has to be preached. But people want to give you a different one, but there really is no other one. And if somebody were to do that, don't listen and let them be cursed. That means this whole gospel idea is huge. That's, that's what that's trying to communicate to us. And I hope we take we walk away with that. No, 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 no. So, yeah, that that... That is, it, it's not pertaining to this, but the, the entire Christian church was once called Catholic. The word Catholic means universal. So we were all one holy Catholic church, meaning we were all one universal church. Why, what, what was the whole point of universal? It's because we believed in the universal truths that Jesus is God, that he was born of a virgin, that he uh, died and rose three days later. That he conquered sin and death and went back to heaven, and he's coming back to get us. Like all these foundational truths, people believed them, which means they were a part of the universal or Catholic Church. That happened up until, you know, you probably know about the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, and those guys began to protest, which is how they got the name Protestant. They were protesting against the Catholic leaders because they were saying, what you're teaching and doing does not align with what the Bible says. And so there was a split between the universal church, between Catholic and Protestant or protestant, which is how you got that. Now, under the Protestant umbrella, you've got all the denominations you basically named with Lutheran and Baptist and Methodist. And they're all Protestant. So they just have things that's caught them to them to split down the line. So verse 10, he says, I am now. He says Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? He's asking a question. Who am I trying to please? Basically, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ is what he says. So you see that child. This is something I struggle with. He says, if I'm trying to please people, then I can't please God. But if I try to please God, that means I might not please people. And for whoever you are out there listening, that's your that'll be your challenge, too. Do you want to please people or do you want to please God? And it will determine how you live. And it's almost like, unfortunately, you can't do both. And he's making it clear. If I were if I were trying to still trying to please people, he says, I would not be Christ's servant because I can't please people and live for Jesus. The two will not go together. That's why a couple of weeks ago, I did a whole thing saying following Jesus is really not a lot about what we think, because the people that came to attack Jesus were not the sinful, wicked, worldly people. It was the religious people. It was the people who were the leaders in the churches. Church hadn't existed then, but in Judaism. So I said, be careful if you live like Jesus. He said, they persecuted me. They hated me. They will persecute and hate you as well. Who is that? Uh, A lot of it will be people in the church that you think are believers. And that's why Paul is saying, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. He didn't get it from any human. He says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So he's talking about why his gospel is so uh, authoritative, why it has the power. And we should listen because nobody taught me this. I didn't get this from another man. Jesus himself revealed this to me. Verse 13, he says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. You see what he says about himself? He says, look, you have heard about the way I used to live. Some of you on here, you know the way I used to live. And it definitely wasn't for God. Well, Paul is saying, you know how I used to live and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul's mission in life, living for God, was to destroy the church. You see how easy religion can set you up to think you're working for god now paul who writes the majority of the new testament is telling us that there was a time in his life when he so did not believe in any of this jesus stuff that he was trying to destroy the church how did he get to the point where he began to write all of this and impact so many people and plant so many churches well jesus actually revealed the true gospel to him that's why For us, it's incredible that no matter who you are, Jesus can meet you right where you are. He just said, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So he says he was advancing, he's growing, he was developing. And he was zealous, which is just passionate and committed to the traditions of his fathers, what had been passed down to him. Now, as a church planner, I know about this so well, because when church people come in, they come with what they've been taught. I remember the very first time I ever taught a message here in California. Um, one A young guy came in the service and uh, an older guy was there as well. And the guy came in with a hat on and the older guy told the younger guy, take that hat off in God's house. Um, Which, honestly, he did that for all the right reasons. He was trying to do what he was taught would bring glory and honor and reverence to God. But he did that at the offense of another person. So I had to stand up and say, not at this church. That's not going to happen here. You can keep your hat on. Because God didn't come to teach people whether they could wear hats or not. But he grew up in a tradition that told him this is the right way, this is the wrong way. And he was carrying on that tradition. Now, Paul is saying, I come from a background and from a tradition of my father's that said, this is the right way. So when this Jesus thing came along, I tried to destroy it. I I was a persecutor of it, which should blow your mind. Because he's now the one writing to us saying, hey, I was I was trying to destroy this whole Christianity thing. And now I'm writing about it. That's the power of the gospel for any person. Now, I want you to go with me to or is it First uh, Timothy. Go to First Timothy. We're coming back to Galatians, so stay there. I'll keep my Galatians here and read from another book. First Timothy chapter one. I'll keep this open. We'll go right back to Galatians. First uh, Timothy chapter one, uh, verse twelve. First Timothy chapter one, verse twelve. Excuse me. And this is Paul speaking again because he writes so much of the new Testament, he says, how thankful I am to Christ Jesus, our Lord for considering me trustworthy and appointing me to serve him. Even though I used to scoff at the name of Christ, I hunted down his people, harming them in every way I could this is Paul telling his testimony. If he got up at your church church service and started to testify, this is what he's saying. He says, hey, thank God he's been so merciful to me and entrusting me with this tremendous ministry, even though I used to scoff at the name of Christ. Just, just that crap. I don't want to hear that crap. He says, I scoffed at the name of Christ. I hunted down his people, uh, harming them in every way I could. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. He says, oh, how kind and gracious the Lord was. He filled me completely with faith and the love of Christ Jesus. Look at verse 15. He says, this is a true saying, and everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I was the worst of them all. Paul says, I was the worst type of person you can imagine. You think you're bad? Paul saying, I was was trying to, not just that I was living like a sinner. I was also trying to destroy the church in every way I could. He says, I was the worst of them all. Verse 16, but that is why God had mercy on me. Mercy, not giving Paul what he deserved. Same way, he has mercy on us. He says, God didn't give me what I deserved. He had mercy on me so that, that's the purpose, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. So why did God use Paul? (laughs) So that, (laughs) he tells us, Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. You think you're bad? Or you know some people who think they've done too much or gone too far? Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I was the worst one. Not just that I didn't believe in God in the church. I tried to destroy it. And now I'm preaching that same message. And God used me to show even people who hate it and want to destroy it can be converted, can be transformed. Uh, by the power of the gospel. And God uses me to show how God loves and has mercy and patience with even the worst type of people. He says, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Glory and honor to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. So as we go back to Galatians and we're looking, I wanted us to see when Paul is saying what he used to do, we jump to first Timothy to see how Paul given his testimony that he tried to destroy the church and God used him to show the worst of people that if he can change Paul, he can change you and me and whoever we know that think they've gone too far. Paul is an example for us to follow. Back in Galatians chapter one. Picking up in verse 15, he says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, so God creates us with purpose. You have been put on this earth for a purpose. Your DNA, you know, your fingerprint, a swab of your mouth or pull of your hair says you are uniquely made. There's no one else in the world like you. You have been put here for a reason. And Paul says what his reasons was. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb. I was created in the womb for a purpose and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Not that he revealed his son to him, that he got to see him, but Jesus was revealed inside of him. Remember we talked about God wanting to come and live inside of us, to live in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul is pointing to this. That he revealed his son in me so that, here's the purpose, I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now remember, when Jesus originally came to the earth, uh, what he did ultimately was he was coming to to fulfill the the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament Jewish people.
1: Remember the Jewish
0: people? If you were with us in those studies, we spent a lot of time walking through reading the Old Testament And the promise that uh, God would send a seed and he'd be the savior and the Messiah. Well, the Jewish people were waiting for that. In fact, they still are today since they don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to arrive. We, however, believe that Jesus was or is uh, the Messiah. So what he's saying, what's happening here is Paul saying, well, God is sending me to preach to all the non-Jews. Everybody that's not a Jew. That's who my ministry is going to be to. Because if we remember from the beginning, that was God's plan. He had told Abraham that Abraham and his family, the Jewish folks, would be a blessing to the nations, all the Gentile people, the non-Jews. So Paul is saying, here's God's way of fulfilling all of that. He's going to use me to preach to the Gentile. He says, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia, later I returned to Damascus. So Paul said, after Jesus gave me this revelation, I didn't go up to Jerusalem, which was the headquarters of the church at that time, to figure out what am I supposed to do? Tell me, explain, teach me. He says, I didn't do that. He says, I went to work. Verse 18 says, then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who which is Peter, you guys know the story of Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. He says, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. He says none of these churches knew me. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us, tried to destroy us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. All they knew is the one that was totally against us. He's now on our side and preaching the message for us. That's all they knew. He says, and they praise God because of me. Beautiful, beautiful message. That's the power of the gospel. Let's go on to chapter two. I see. Yep, Ricardo. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. DCB. Yes, sir. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 verse 1. So again, I told you in chapters 1 and 2, Paul is just uh, defining and defending the gospel and defining and defending his authority as an apostle. Saying, I didn't go up to consult and get approval from people. I got this from Jesus. And this is what the gospel is. He does a little bit more in chapter two. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So these are just his traveling companions, his boys in the ministry. He says, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So Paul, Barnabas, and Titus, him and his two boys, they went back to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and some of the leaders there privately so he so he could share the gospel that he preached to see what they thought about it, if it aligned with what Jesus had given them. So he's going to just check in, but not initially. This is 14 years later. He's going up this second time. He says, uh, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running. He says, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Just wasting my time. Verse three says, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus wasn't even thinking about getting circumcised, says, even though he was a Greek. Now that matters because the Jews were under the Old Testament laws, the laws of Moses. And essential to that was circumcision and obeying the Sabbath and eating a kosher diet and not mixing certain fabrics. And they had all these rules and law. Again, If you were with us in the Old Testament, especially when we did the book of Leviticus, we talked about all the rules, all the laws, all the offerings, what they all meant, how they all worked, why they had to adhere to all of this. Well, since circumcision was a sign that you were with the people of God, um, you would expect that since Jesus has come to fulfill the promises to the Jewish people, that anybody who comes into the faith must also adhere to those same laws of Moses. That's why today, 2020, the Jewish people are still saying there's no way that they could even come into Christianity because as Christians, we're not um, honoring those laws. So they're like, well, okay, let's say Jesus is the Messiah. How come you aren't obeying the laws? And we'd have to explain, well, we don't believe that's the way anymore, uh, at least not the laws you're referring to. And so Paul is trying to make clear, well, the gospel is the thing that makes us say we we no longer have to be circumcised. We no longer have to have Uh, This Sabbath day that, uh, you know, we can do no work or I get to eat uh, fried fish, you know, crawfish and shrimp and lobster and all these things that were absolute no, no for the Jewish people. And it's like, well, how how did you get the right to do that? When God clearly tells us in the Old Testament, you can't. Well, that's where the gospel comes into play. Well, Paul is dealing with it here when he says, He didn't even think about getting circumcised, even though he was not a Jew, which is what they're trying to say when they say he was a Greek. He was not Jewish. Verse four says this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves. Please stop and listen to what Paul is saying. I'll read it again. He says, this whole idea of getting circumcised, whether he should or not, that would not even have come up if it weren't for some false believers. Why is that important? Because my question to you is, are there false believers around you? Are you at a church with false believers or are you the false believer? How do you know? It's based on whether or not you've received the gospel. But which gospel? How do you know? That's why the Bible is painting for us what gospel we have to receive to determine whether we're the real or the fake or the true believers or false ones. And so he tells us here there were some false believers who infiltrated, like they're on a secret mission, who infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ. And then they wanted to make us slaves. That happens all the time. That they're religious people. That's what false believers are. They haven't really met Jesus or understand the gospel. But what they do is they're the people who teach and say things to make you feel bad and try to take away your freedom. Notice how he's talking about coming to Jesus and the freedom he has. Now, if you told anybody today, that you wanted them to come to jesus they're not going to be thinking about they're going to get freedom they're going to think well if i go to church if i come to god what about all the laws what about all the commands what about all the rules what about all the do's and don'ts that's what's intimidating me paul says that's not that's that's something else that's a religious or old testament or workspace that's not the gospel we came to jesus we were set free from the rules and the laws and the do's and the don'ts. And you might be thinking, Pastor T, huh? That doesn't doesn't sound right. Well, I'm reading the scripture. And Paul said, these people came to see our freedom and they wanted to make us slaves. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to make them be bound to these rules and laws again that they had already been set free from. Verse 5 says, we did not give into them for a moment so that, there's the purpose, the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Why didn't we start following some rules or obeying some laws or give in just a little bit? Because then that would have watered down the gospel that me and you hear today. And we would have thought the gospel is about being in slavery or trying to follow rules or laws. And they said, we could not listen to that at all. Now, again, I could spend the whole night talking about how big of a deal that is, that he's saying he didn't get circumcised. That means you are not a part of the people of God. That's what that would have meant to the Jewish people. So how can you say you're a believer or a follower of God and then not get circumcised? There's just no way they could put that together in their head. And he said, and we didn't even consider it because if we would have, then future people would have thought, well, here's what I have to do to be saved. Because that's what Paul and Titus did. But he said, no, we did it so that you realize there is no work. There's nothing we can do to be saved. That's where he's going. Ultimately, he says that we want to keep the truth of the gospel. It might be preserved for you. Verse six says, as for those who were held in high esteem, the leaders, whatever they were makes no difference to me. We weren't listening to them because they were the leaders of the church. And like, oh, we better do what they're saying. He said, that didn't make no difference to us. We knew the gospel. And he says, God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. Verse seven, on the contrary, They recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised or to Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So Peter was the main apostle, sent one to the Jews, and Paul was the main to the Gentiles. And they recognized that after meeting with Paul some 14 years later. Verse eight says, for God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Cephas, which is Peter, and John, those esteemed as the pillars, those are the three closest ones to Jesus in his inner circle. He says, those three gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They said, you are our brothers. God has met you and revealed this to you. You're one of us. You're part of the family. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all alone. Then verse 11. Here's what he says in 11. When Cephas, now Cephas just means Peter. So Paul says, He's the leader to the Gentiles. Peter's the leader to the Jews. And when Peter came to Antioch, now Antioch was a Gentile city that was uh, made up of of, uh, primarily of uh, Gentiles. So non-Jewish people. Um, And so he says when Peter basically came to Antioch, the church with a whole bunch of Gentiles, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. So Paul said, I had to call out Peter when he came up here and started hanging out with the uh, the Gentiles. So I think about it or I try to communicate it, think about it racially. It's just like white and black. And so here's this predominantly white church. Here's this predominantly black church. And yet they say we're all one. But then let's say a guy from the white church goes to the black church. And Paul saying, I had to. During that occasion, I had to oppose him. I had to call him out to his face publicly when he got there. And it's like, whoa, he's the pillar of the church. How did that work? He explains to us in verse 12. He says, for before certain men from James came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So they said, Peter was hanging out. This Jew was hanging out with these Gentiles and they was hanging out and having a good time. But then some men came from a predominantly Jewish uh, gathering, and look what happened. He used to eat with them, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, meaning the Jews. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that, By their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? that needs to be unpacked and we're close to running out of time. But here's what's happening. Um, There's a cultural class. uh, There's a cultural clash. Um, Cultures are colliding at this point. There's also ethnic and racial um, uh, superiority that is taking place Right here in this passage, because the Jews saw themselves as the chosen people of God, which they were. They were no different than a Christian today. Christians are people who God has poured out his spirit on. Their eyes have been opened. They've received the Holy Spirit. And now they understand who God is and they're learning what they're supposed to do. But they exist in the world so that they can tell and help other people. That's what Christians are here for. That's why we don't go to heaven when we get saved. God leaves us here to be his image bearers. Well, the Jewish people were the people that God had called and chosen in the Old Testament to tell the rest of the world about who God was. But because God chose them and we read the Old Testament stories where he did miraculous things with them and blessed them and promised to curse nations that were against them. He was on their side. They had God's favor because of all of that. They thought they were superior to the Gentiles and they wanted nothing to do with them. And then God had given them rules and laws about not behaving like them, not doing what they do in the same way that as a Christian today, God tells us not to live like the world, not to think that we are better than them, but also not to embody their culture, their their values and their way of life, but to lead by example from our kingdom which is in heaven. Why why I say all that is because now when Jesus came, Jesus began to call people from the Jews and the Gentiles to the church. And they were all saved and considered equal. In fact, they were to be one body, one church, one family. But it's like, how are we going to do that? Because we've always seen ourselves as superior and them as inferior. And now we're equal and now we're all one. Well, Peter, as a leader of the church, he knew this message. You go back and read the book of Acts. You'll see that that Peter knew that God wanted the Gentiles to be a part of his church. Um, When Paul went up 14 years later to consult with him about the gospel, he was preaching to the Gentiles. He didn't say anything he was doing was wrong. In fact, he went to Antioch to visit them to hang out. uh, And in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it's in Antioch that that believers were first called Christians at the Antioch church. So um, here it is in this minority church that they're first called Christians, and Peter makes his way to this minority church, and while he's there, he's hanging out with all these minorities, he's eating with them, and everything is going great. But when some of his boys come who aren't minorities, he begins to disassociate himself with them, and he stops hanging out and eating with them. And because Peter is the leader of the church, guess what happens? Other people start following Peter's example and paul has to call him out on that in front of everybody and says what you're doing does not communicate the truth of the gospel when you became a christian you chose to be free and live like gentiles where you don't have any laws but now that these brothers have come you want to go back to acting like we're superior or we're better than the gentiles and you're no longer eating with them you're wrong for what you're doing he called them out and said That does not communicate the truth of what we believe in the gospel. And because I'm really at the end of my time, I just, if we could understand that today in the world that we're living in, that the gospel doesn't put us in any position or to take a posture that allows us to team up with any group or any side or you name it. You can call it whatever you want to call it. This story could be rewritten today uh, with white and black or Democrat and Republican or you fill in the blank, rich and poor, educated, uneducated. You, you fill in the blank because what Paul is calling out is that the gospel puts us on an equal equal playing field. All of us are sinners. None of us are worthy. All of us had to come to Christ by grace, through faith. We're all saved because of his blood. And once we call him father, that makes us one. Now today, if I go out and preach the gospel to Christians who happen to be Democrat and Republican, my call would be, whatever secondary issues you have or believe in, your primary identity is a believer. So you first gotta figure out how to do life together As the family, that's what chapter three and four is going to be about, how God is making us into one family. But it's so easy, even for leaders in a church, to let culture, uh, ethnicity, you name it, keep us divided. And it happened all the way back here with the leader of the church. And Paul says, I had to call him out on it because what he was doing does not align with the truths of the gospel. I am basically uh, out of time. I think that's a good place to end because I can pick up there on Wednesday when we meet again. But I'm trying to walk through um, uh, Galatians and help us see just the importance and the power of the gospel. We're going to begin to see as we go forward what Paul actually says the gospel is and how it works and the difference it makes. And that's important for us to hear so that you and I can get it And receive it and let it transform who we are so that we can actually be the people, family God. God's called us to be that the world might see and come. Not that there's something about religion or works or our performance or our behavior or our political views. Or that's not what makes us holy, righteous or acceptable to God. There's only one thing. Our faith in who Jesus is what he's done, and the difference it makes in our lives. And because all of us have to have that, it makes us all equal no matter who we are or what we have done. So that's why it's so important for us to really lock in as we walk through Galatians, because we so need the gospel today. And I'm afraid that as I watch people argue, fight, and do all this stuff, talking about believers now, I have to ask the question, what gospel are they believing? Is it The one that Paul preached? Or is it a different one that they drifted away to? And now it's become something other than what Jesus offered. If we don't know the true gospel, then one, we can't live it, but we also can't help those who have drifted away. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I know that These are difficult, challenging times with the pandemic, with our economy, with the racial divide and protest, with an election year. uh, So much going on. And yet you sent your church to be the light in a dark place. And Lord, our light is not really shining because we struggle to be the one church that you desire us to be. And I pray that you would bring clarity of the gospel through so many who communicate the scriptures that the people of God would hear and believe and to begin to operate like your children, that the world might see and come to know you and give you the glory and honor that you so deserve. Lord, I pray for the brokenness in our world. I pray for those who are struggling financially right now. I pray for those who are sick or have loved ones who are sick. I pray for those who have lost loved ones. And we just ask that your spirit would provide comfort and peace that surpasses all understanding. That you would give guidance and direction about next steps. That you minister to us right where we are. That you help us not believe the lives of the enemy and drift away to some other Gospel or look to anything else to fulfill or satisfy. I pray that uh, you would cause revival to take uh, place in our world and that you'd first start the revival inside of us as individuals and then in our homes and that it might carry over to our churches and then our communities and neighborhoods and to the world in a way that the name of Jesus would be exalted and that people would be drawn to him, that you would be glorified, that we would worship you in spirit and truth and give you what you so deserve. God, thank you for calling and choosing us. And then we ask that as you allow us to get to know you better, that you use us to make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Appreciate you being here. I will be back on uh, Wednesday night, same time, same place. We will pick back up right in Galatians chapter two. Hey, if you didn't get a chance to read, please open your Bible and uh, just read through Galatians. As we're walking through it, it will help you to understand the context and where we are and what's going on. And God might speak to you through it to have some great insight to share. All right, guys, God bless you, and I'll see you Wednesday night.